Well, guys, I am very excited to have this opportunity to share with all of you this evening and with all of you who are watching online tonight. I want to express my gratitude to Pastor Frankie for opening up this pulpit and allowing me to share in this way. I count it an honor and a privilege to be able to, to share the Word of God with all of you here tonight. My name is Isaiah Rangel, for those of you who don't know who I am. I'm the worship pastor here at Celebration Church, and my wife Jessica, also a worship leader here at Celebration, and we've got a little boy together who uh, is about two and a half years old. His name is Judah Anthony Rangel, and he's pretty much the most, amaz most amazing kid uh, alive on the planet today. Uh, we've been here at Celebration for approximately seven and a half years, and we have just absolutely loved worshiping with all of you guys throughout the years and are just looking forward to seeing what God is going to continue to do here at Celebration Church. Tonight, I've got a word that I believe is going to encourage you and that is going to bless your life. I don't think that I'm going to share anything necessarily that you haven't heard before, but my hope tonight is that you would walk away firstly with um, uh, a different perspective. Actually, the, the title of my message is, let's start there. The title of my message is Bound by Freedom. And I don't think that, uh, uh, I'm sorry, my, my goal tonight is that we would walk away with, number one, a slightly different perspective on how we've truly been set free. And secondly, that we could gain maybe just a clearer understanding that this freedom comes with a set of limitations and restrictions that uh, and that by embracing these limitations, uh, we may be able to experience a higher, more rewarding sense of freedom by living a life of servitude. Amen? So let's dive right into Scripture together. I'm going to be reading out of the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. I'm going to fix this and attach it to my T-shirt because it's pulling on. There we go. It says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up in slavery to the law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. If you are trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, there is no benefit in being circumcised or uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. You were running the race so well, who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I am trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say that I do, why am I still being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. I just wish that those troublemakers who would want to mutilate you would, by circumcisions would, uh, I'm sorry, by circumcision would mutilate themselves. It's getting pretty intense here. 
For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the entire law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray tonight. God, we love you. We're here for you, Lord. I pray that you would bless this time. Allow your word to to go out and produce good fruit. Use me, Jesus, and, and just speak through me. Use this time for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there was a book that was written in the mid-1800s by a man named Alexander Dumas. And um, it's called The Count of Monte Cristo. Has anybody read or watched that movie? Yeah, a, a lot of us were probably forced to read that in high school. And it's been turned into a movie several times. Um, and I think the most recent one was in the 90s with uh, Jim Caviezel as the star. It's a really good movie, but uh, it's a story about a man whose name is Edmund Dantes. And Edmund is a poor, God-fearing man who has just been promoted to um, captain of a small trading vessel. And there's a man, an associate of his, who becomes jealous of Edmund because he has been desiring and coveting this position on the ship. There's another... Um, Edmund has also been uh, recently engaged to a beautiful woman named Mercedes, and another friend of Edmund's becomes jealous of him because he's also in love with the same woman. And so these two guys, they conspire together, and they, uh, along with the help of others, including the police, and on the day of Edmund's wedding, they seize him and they send him off to um, a fortress on a remote island out in the middle of nowhere. And he's sentenced now to spend the rest of his life in this prison. He has no idea why. But Edmund is hopeful. And he believes that God will give him justice and uh, that one day he'll get out of there and that he'll be back with Mercedes and things will go back to the way that they should. But 14 years go by and nothing happens. And on, on the year, on the anniversary of his arrival to this prison, they pull him from his cell and they whip him and they beat him to a bloody pulp. And Edmund become, begins to become uh, uh, weary and bitter and angry towards God. And he loses hope that he'll ever get out of this prison. And so one day he encounters an, an old man, uh, an old priest who has been working on digging his way out of this prison. And this old man realizes that he's getting pretty old and he's going to need some help. And so he asks Edmund, uh, would you help me dig? Because um, I can't do it and I need your strong hands. And so he says, if you will help me dig, then I will, uh, I'll teach you how to fight. I will educate you in uh, the ways of history and science and uh, philosophy. And I'll also reveal uh, the, the, the location of a, an extremely large treasure that should you ever get out of here and find it, the, uh, it would make you one of the richest men in all the land. And so Edmund agrees, and he helps the man dig. And the old man actually ends up dying in prison, but Edmund is able to escape, and he finds this large treasure and does, in fact, become one of the wealthiest man, men in all the land. And so he changes his name to the Count of Monte Cristo. And now Edmund, one of the wealthiest men and an, and, an, and an educated man, has a very serious decision to make. What is he going to do with his newfound freedom? And so the book goes on to tell that Edmund makes a deal with the devil. And the devil asks him, what would it take to make you adore me? 
And Edmund replies, look, what I wish is to become providence myself. What I wish is to become the issuer of justice myself. Because the most beautiful, most noblest, most sublime thing in the world is to recompense and to punish. And so Edmund has ma had made his decision on what he was going to do with his freedom. He wanted vengeance. He wanted revenge. And sure enough, he goes out to find these guys who had wronged him and one by one begins to issue them their demise, sending one to prison, uh, uh, bringing one to financial failure and ultimately murdering the man who had taken his girl from him. It's a really good book. <laughs> and so Edmund now with his girl by his side comes to the point where he realizes, I've crossed a line that I should have never crossed. And I recognize now that God is not for me and God is with me. Obviously, that's not the truth for us, but it's a really good book. And I've got to be honest and say that um, uh, I felt a feeling of satisfaction at the end of this movie. I was like, yes, go get them. But the important thing for us tonight, church, is this. We find ourselves in a similar position as Edmund with a very similar choice to make. You see, Jesus died on a cross and he rose again on the third day. And when we repented of our sins and we made him Lord and Savior of our life, in that instant, we became free. So the question that we've got to ask ourselves is the same one. What are we going to do with our newfound freedom? And so this is the scenario and the situation that Paul has been dealing with here in the book of Galatians, in the text that we just read, you see Paul is a, uh, um, a missionary who has been traveling throughout the land from city to city. And he's been preaching the good news and the gospel. And he's been preaching that, that Jesus died and that he rose again. And belief and faith in this is all that is necessary to be saved and to be admitted into the family of God. And so the, the leaders and the, 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 the elders of the churches began to teach the same message. They agreed with him. But the problem was that Paul would have to move on and he would have to go on to the next town to continue to spread the good news. And these church leaders, uh, including some of the apostles, began to teach that, yes, what Paul is teaching is true. You've got to believe that Jesus died and he rose again in order to be saved. But it's also not enough. And so they started to change the message and add to it. And because of their Jewish uh, traditions and the way that they were raised, they began to teach that there were these set of rituals and rules that they needed to follow in order to truly be saved and in order to truly be free and be admitted into the family of God. And so word began to quickly spread. Paul gets wind of this and he becomes angry and upset and frustrated. And he begins to write these letters to the church of Galatia, the churches of Galatia. And in some instances, he even goes back to visit with some of these people and he's telling them, hey, who is it that has led you astray, guys? And in chapter one of Galatians, he feels it necessary to remind them, look, it's not just anybody who has, who has appointed me to preach this message. I didn't just wake up one day and on a whim decide that this is some gospel that I, I want to preach. I'm being persecuted for telling you guys this. You don't really have any room to question my authority on this issue because it was Jesus Christ himself who commissioned me and appointed me to preach this gospel. And secondly, he goes on to remind them in chapter 5 of Galatians, uh, Christ has truly set you free. So please make sure that you stay free. 
If you're counting on a set of rules and rituals to make you free, then you are cut off from Christ, and Christ is of no use to you. And in fact, you have fallen away from God's grace. Tonight, church, I know that many of us believe this and we know this, but there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. There are no set of rituals and rules that we can follow or good deeds that we can perform that grant us our freedom and make us right before the eyes of God. If that were the case, then Christ would be of no use to us according to Scripture. If we could earn our salvation, then what Christ did on the cross is rendered meaningless. Paul says, you have been made free and I want you to stay free. What's important is not these rituals and, and, and rules that you've been following. What's important is not these traditions that you've been raised with and these things that you've been bickering about with each other throughout the generations. The things that we argue about dividing our denominations, those things are not important. Are we standing or are we sitting during worship? Are the lights going up or are they going down during worship? Are we taking communion once a month? Are we taking it four times a month? That's not important. What's important is faith expressing itself in love. What's important is faith in what Jesus Christ did. Belief that he died and that he rose again, but it's got to express itself also in love. There's got to be an expression of that faith. There's got to be an evidence of your conversion and of your belief. I want to just take a minute right now to just pause and say this. I believe that according to Scripture, from what I've read in Scripture, it is possible for a man to live his entire life as a non-believer and moments before his death, accept Christ and then take his last breath and then in the moments following, go on to be with Christ. There was a thief who hung on the cross next to Jesus who lived his whole life as a thief. And moments before he died, accepted Christ and Christ turned over to him and said, tonight you will be with me in paradise. So I do believe that a man can live his life as a non-believer, accept Christ, take his last breath and go on to be with Jesus. But for the rest of us, who proclaim Jesus as Lord and continue to have breath and continue to live on. There's a very important truth that we need to embrace. And it's right in the middle of our text here in Galatians 5, 6. It says what is, what is important is faith expressing itself in love. Galatians 5, 13 says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and my sisters, but do not use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. You have been made free, and you've got a choice on what you're going to do with that freedom. Are you going to satisfy your sinful urges? Are you going to abuse your freedoms? Or are you going to take advantage of your freedom and serve one another in love and allow that to be the expression of your faith in love? Tonight, there are two truths that I want us to walk away with. Number one, we have been made free. When you say yes to Jesus Christ, you repent of your sins, it's in that moment that you're made free from death, from eternal separation, from Christ. You're also made free from the bondage of sin. So all of us have things that we struggle with, and many of us have things and habits that are almost near impossible to break on our own. You don't, if you struggle with lust, you don't just say yes to Christ and in the next breath uh, stop struggling with lust. If you struggle with laziness, you don't just say yes to Christ and in the very next breath uh, become a, a proactive and productive human being. 
If you struggle with having a, a bad mouth or, or being a gossiper, you don't just say yes to Christ and in the next moment are able to fix this issue. It's because we said yes to Christ, however, that we've been made free from having to fix this on our own. This weight and this burden uh, from having to, to resolve these problems on our own with our own actions and with our own deeds has been lifted from us and we're free from having to do that. We can focus now on serving and loving him and his people and allow God to take care of that for us because we're free. But the Bible is clear when it says don't use that freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. You got to use it to serve one another. So we've been made free. And number two, we have been made free to serve. We aren't free to live the way that we want to. We have been set free to live the way that we ought to. It's because that I'm free that I'm able to serve. The truth is that this freedom comes with restrictions and with limitations. And I know that many of us here tonight, we understand this concept of being free to serve. But I want to spend just a few more minutes dissecting this thought because I think that to some of us, maybe uh, that statement may be a little bit of a paradox and a, a contradicting statement. How can I be a free man and a servant at the same time? And so if you would allow me, I've got three ways in which we experience freedom when we serve. And they may seem a little bit obvious, but if you would, just allow me to flesh these out for the next few minutes. Number one, we experience freedom when we serve ourselves. See, God wants us to exercise self-control. He wants us to exercise self-discipline. He wants us to be healthy. If we look at an athlete, like a boxer, a guy doesn't just put on some gloves, jump into a ring, start swinging, and is able to call himself a boxer. He's looking at a pretty serious beatdown, if that were the case. Training is required. He's got to spend time in the gym, working out, doing cardio, sparring with somebody, learning the techniques, bob and weave. And he's got to eat right. He's got to eat at the right times. And this has to go on and on and on an extended period of time, which is a restriction on his time and on his freedom. And he's got to do that before he's ever able to experience the freedom of jumping into a ring and actually having a shot at the title. The life of a musician is very similar. The musician has to practice and practice and practice, which is, again, a restriction on his time and on his freedom. And if a musician who, who's taking his craft seriously, he, he's got to lock himself up in a room when he could otherwise be out doing whatever he wants with his time. He's got to lock himself up in a room. He's got to practice those scales over and over and over. And he's got to practice that song over and over. And if there are any musicians in the house, I know that you know that this is true. And the, the band, I know you guys can, can uh, uh, relate to this. You got to do that over and over and over. And, and, and it's, but when the moment comes that you can actually walk out to that stage and step out in front of these people, you can finally express yourself in a way that's far more liberating and rewarding than if you had not given up and sacrificed your time to begin with. I remember being nine years old, and I could play the drums when I was nine years old. My dad had a Spanish Tejano Christian band, and they would travel around the state of Texas, and they would... Um, play at these different festivals and uh, conferences and church services, and it was a lot of fun. But his drummer had quit, 
and I wasn't able to continue playing on with the band. And so he asked me, do you want to be a part of the band? No, that's actually not what he asked me. He said, do you want to practice with us for a while while we look for another drummer? I'm like, yeah, it sounds like fun. I'm nine years old. I'm like, sounds good. So I started practicing and I learned some songs and they bring a guy in and he didn't really work out. And so I practiced some more and learned more songs and that didn't, and they brought another guy and that didn't really work out. And so I come back in and I learned some more songs and practice with them some more. And so my dad's like, you know what? I think you, I think you're able to cut it. And so are you interested in becoming our permanent drummer? I'm like, uh, yeah. Are you kidding me? Nine-year-old doesn't want to join the band and tour around the state of Texas. And so he's like, well, hold on. I want you to take some time and really think about this because I'm going to be strict. I'm going to be rigid. It's going to be hard. And uh, uh, you're not going to be able to quit. This is a serious commitment, all right? So I'm like, yes, I'm in. Thought about it, prayed about it. God, is it? Good, we're in. And um, anyways, he's like, all right, let's do this. And sure enough, he was strict and he was hard on me and it was very rigid. And I remember we'd have... Uh, these practice sessions, and we'd practice in a small, like, shed-like building behind our house, and it was hot and it was humid because there wasn't any AC in, uh, in this building, so we'd open up the windows, and uh, bugs would begin to come in, and we'd practice for hours. And uh, I remember there would be times where they would take time out of the rehearsal, and it seemed like forever that they'd take time to maybe work out the guitar part, or they'd work out the bass part, or a vocal part, and I'm sitting there kind of bored, and you know, I'm thinking as a nine-year-old, gosh, maybe I would rather be out playing with my friends or watching TV or playing game. I don't know. I'd rather do anything else except sit here and being bored. And so because I'm nine and I didn't have a cell phone at the time, uh, I'd get distracted. I'd start, you know, banging around on the drums or I'd uh, fall asleep on the snare drum. And so my dad would like grab the nearest thing that he had next to him. He'd find a set of keys or a, a notebook or a pen and he'd chunk it right at me. I think on one occasion he actually grabbed a roll of duct tape and he just threw it. Boom. Pow. What's going on? And he's like, I want you to pay attention. I know that we're not talking to you right now, but what we're talking about with the guitar player may actually affect you here in a few minutes. And I don't want to have to repeat myself. You got to be a professional and pay attention. And I'm like, okay. You got it. I'm a professional nine-year-old drummer. <laughs> and it was tough. And man, he, he really was hard on me. But you know what? I learned lessons in discipline during those years. I learned lessons in leadership that I still benefit from today. In fact, during rehearsal, I, I sometimes carry a roll of duct tape around with me here at Celebration <laughs> Church. I'm like, hey, that's not right. Pow! I'm just kidding. They took the duct tape away from me. Anyway, by serving ourselves with the right limitations and restrictions, we allow ourselves to experience the kind of freedom that Christ desires for us. Restricting ourselves by eating healthy, exercising, the things that we say, saying positive and giving life with our words rather than being critical and speaking negativity. Restricting ourselves by being good stewards of our finances. Restricting our minds by constantly educating ourselves and becoming better pushing ourselves to becoming better. These are all examples of self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about later in the very same text that we're talking about tonight. And these are expressions of our faith and evidence of our beliefs. So number one, we 
experience freedom when we serve ourselves. And number two, we experience freedom when we serve each other. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 says, Even though I am a, a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. 1 Corinthians 9, 22 and 23 says, When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Paul says, I have become a slave to all people, and I share in their weakness. When was the last time that we took someone to lunch or to coffee who we knew was going through a hard time and we said, hey, how are you doing? And when they answer, I'm doing good and I'm fine, you said, no, how are you really doing? And then you sit back and you take a sip of your coffee and you just let them unload. And then when you feel like chiming in and giving your advice and your opinion, you just continue to be quiet and say, tell me more about that. And just let them unload their burdens. There's something powerful and liberating about somebody have someone they can confide in and just talk. There are many ways in which we can serve each other. We can give of our time, we can give of our resources and of our talents. God calls us to serve each other and to esteem each other as greater than ourselves and to love each other. There's a book that I read called The Reason for God by a guy named Timothy Keller and in it he calls love the ultimate freedom. And love, this ultimate freedom, is more constraining than we may think. Whether it's love for a friend or a romantic kind of love, when we engage in these kinds of relationships, we surrender our independence and, and, and our ability to do and say whatever we want whenever we want. But we do that in order to experience the kind of freedom that can only come with opening up ourselves to those relationships to begin with. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries, avoiding all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable the alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. There's a freedom that we experience when we expose our hearts to the potential pain and sacrifice that comes with loving and serving someone else. So number one, we experience freedom when we love, I'm sorry, when we serve ourselves. We experience freedom when we serve each other. And lastly, we experience freedom when we serve God. And if somebody can come play, it'd be great. So this point may seem like an obvious one, but to be honest, I think this point is kind of a, a summation of points one and two. Galatians chapter five, verse 14 says, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. See, God desires for us to be in relationship with each other. He desires for us to be in relationship with him. And when we enter in relationships, either with a friend or a romantic kind of love, it's necessary for both sides of the, of the, of, uh, the relationship to say, you know what, I'm willing to adjust 
to you. I will serve you even though that means a sacrifice for me. And I think that for some of us, especially non-believers who are looking at Christianity kind of from the outside, it, it kind of seems like a challenging thing to enter into a relationship with Christ on a permanent level because oftentimes it seems like it's kind of a one-way street and it seems as though God isn't very willing to adjust or isn't really interested in adjusting to us at all. But I think that tonight we understand that to be not the truth. The truth is that God has adjusted to us in the most amazing way of all, hasn't he? Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8 say, says this, In your relationships with, with one another, have the same mindset as, as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Let's stand together tonight. See, he submitted himself to our condition as sinners. He adjusted to us in the most profound way. He gave everything for us. He sacrificed everything for us so that we could experience the ultimate freedom. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become his righteousness. If God never does anything for us ever again, we are eternally indebted to him for what he has done for us. And so tonight we've got a choice to make. What are we going to do with our freedom? Are we going to abuse it and satisfy our sinful desires or are we going to use it to serve one another, to engage in relationship with each other and ultimately be obedient to Christ by loving each other? And I think that serving each other can be something that we do on a daily basis. You know, I don't think that satisfying our sinful desire necessarily means committing these atrocious sins. I think it can be just a series of small sacrificial decisions that we make throughout our week. Or we can do something kind for someone rather than taking that opportunity to do something selfish for ourselves. So as we get ready to close tonight, I just want to challenge you with these two things. Number one, there's a freedom that we experience when we engage in a covenant relationship with Christ Jesus. And if you haven't surrendered your heart to him, I would like to just ask you to take this opportunity to do that right now. And you can do that by just simply saying, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose again on the third day. I repent of my sins. I want you to forgive me. I need you to forgive me. I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. And if that's, the, if that's a step that you've already taken, then I would encourage you to take this next step and go to God and ask Him how you can better serve yourself. Lord, how can I practically and in a real way become a better me? How can I exercise self-discipline and self-control 
How can I better serve my neighbor? How can I better serve you? And I believe that God will begin to minister to you and reveal just practical, simple ways in which you can do this throughout your week. The team is going to continue to worship. There's no official dismissal here at Celebration Church. You can continue to worship right where you are. The altars are open, and the rest of you will see you back here on Sunday morning.